Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of the Motion Pixels podcast, because this is the Motion Pixels podcast. I'm your co-host, August Meyer. August, say hello. Bonjour, which is a reference to our guest, uh, Guilla Martin, who is a uh, esteemed French uh, game developer uh, joining the show today. I'm also joined by my co-host, Matthew Rawlings. Matthew, say hello. Hello. And this is the Motion Pixels podcast. So, Guillaume, this is the yeah. first time in 10 years that we have talked, I think, around 10 years. It has been yeah. quite a long time. Uh, yeah. So, it's been a long, long time. Yeah, far, a, very, far away. <laughs> a very long time. So, uh, I'll introduce you. So, uh, this is our, this is a friend of the show, probably the first friend of the show, Guillaume <laughs> Martin. Yeah. Martin, Martin? Oh, whatever, whatever. It's Martin in French. And you, you can go with Martin. It's it's uh, the pronunciation in English. So yeah, it's good. Martin. Okay. Like Ricky Martin. Martin? <laughs> Rick, okay, so we have Ricky Martin here in the show. Uh, uh, Guillaume Martin. Uh, he is a uh, developer. Uh, I'll let him go into his career a bit, but he's worked at big development companies. Uh, he started his own indie studio. And uh, now he works at another uh, game studio working on a pretty cool project. And we're very happy to have him on the show. Uh, the origin story of how Guillaume and I uh, got to be friends and how he became a friend of the show uh, is kind of interesting. So there is a game called Blocks That Matter that Guillaume developed with his company Swing Swing Submarine, uh, his indie studio, uh, about 10 years ago. And back when I used to use Facebook all the time, I used to quote unquote like things, you know, so I could... There was pages and you could like them to show people that you liked whatever thing. And I was like obsessed with that. And I really liked Blocks That Matter, but there existed no Facebook page for yeah. Blocks That Matter. So I created one just so that I could like it and people could see that I liked block that, Blocks That Matter. But then a bunch of people kept liking it and it turned into like a little community with a few hundred uh, people who all liked Blocks That Matter. And uh, I think Guillaume reached out to me at some point and was like, hey, like we can make this the official Blocks That Matter Facebook page. And me, as like a high school kid, I was like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. I'm talking to a video game developer. <laughs> and uh, Matt and I were actually working on a podcast 10 years ago that never saw the light of day. And I asked Guillaume for an interview for that podcast, and we recorded it, and then never put it out. But uh, ever since then, Guillaume and I, uh, like I check in with Guillaume every now and then. And uh, in the meantime, in the interim, since that first interview and now, uh, he has had two children, uh, shipped a bunch of games, and I have two cats. So, you know, you tell me <laughs> yeah, who is more successful. It's not up to you. <laughs> uh, so yeah. yeah, Guillaume, that brings us up to now. But uh, yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Just uh, what you do, why you do it? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a programmer because uh, it's the only thing I, I think I can do <laughs> because I, I'm not that good at art, artist or some designer or stuff like that. And uh, I always wanted to to work in video games at some point in my childhood because it was so funny to play. So I, I guess it was so funny to create. So, so sometimes it's not that funny, but most of the time it's fun, a fun job. So that's why I, I went into video games. And I was lucky enough to, to cross the world with people and to get in this industry right after my uh, school, after graduating. 
So I entered Ubisoft, uh, I guess it was uh, 2007. <laughs> so it's, it's some time now. And uh, I stayed three, three years at Ubisoft in Montpellier. Um, it's uh, in the south of France. And uh, this studio is making, uh, was making uh, games like uh, the Raymond's game. Or the King Kong game and most uh, known game, I guess it's Beyond Good and Evil uh, from Mission on Cell. And then I went there. I worked on small games that were not announced and that are being killed internally because it's happened a lot of the, of time uh, in the industry. You, you develop stuff, and when it's not uh, good enough or not meeting the requirement or the the editing the I don't know the the name, but the the editor in the in Ubisoft is not uh, wanting to to take that way. They, they kill the game, so it happened twice in three years at Ubisoft. So at oh the end, uh, <laughs> I never shipped a game at Ubisoft, and uh, I was well. Uh, maybe we, we we can create our own studio, <laughs> and I met uh, a guy at uh, Ubisoft when, while I was working uh, at it and his name was William and we started the, the Swing Swing Submarine uh, company just two of us in his living room so I guess 10 years or 11 years ago and then we we, we wanted to, to make a first game that was uh, Seasons the first the, the project code name was Seasons it was about a little fox that was able to, to switch the, the seasons and explore the environment. So it was an ambitious project for a first game uh, that size, two people. And we realized that uh, a year later, I guess. We were, <laughs> we were super silly at the time and still are. And um, then we switched and we said, okay, we need to make a smaller game and uh, get inspired by what is cool right now. And right now, it was Minecraft. And we made this game called Blocks That Matter, like August uh, talked about earlier. And uh, we shipped it on the, the Xbox at the time, the Xbox 360. I don't know what version you, you played first. Was it the PC version or the Xbox uh, 360 version? The PC version. The PC, PC version. Okay. And then we later, we, we released the, the PC version because it was a, a port to make and we wanted to add more features and we wanted we wanted the game to be community driven with a in-game editor to make the levels and tweak things and that's why it's so the community was so important for us at the time and it was it was so funny to see the the facebook uh, page being created uh, by itself uh, by you <laughs> in fact <laughs> And that's why we, we chose to, to make this, uh, fan page, the official page for the game, because it was a game for the community and by the community, because there was so good, so great lovers made from day one of the PC release. And we were so blessed. And we didn't want to create the, the Facebook page because we were afraid of managing, uh, several pages. There was already the, the company page and uh, we were afraid to split the audience uh, by creating more and more page pages but in the end it was a good thing to to have the, the page you, cre you created so yeah that was for <laughs> the, the story and then we met because we asked you to be the the moderator and the the main uh, uh maintainer of the of that page and you did an awesome job so thank it you. was a huge honor <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, and then when we uh, made this first game, it escalated quickly, like they <laughs> they say, and we were on Xbox 360, and we won the at the time there was the the XNA uh, game challenge. I don't know the exact name because Microsoft was allowing small studio to push uh, small games on a sub part of the the marketplace. It was called the the XNA games, uh, I guess. The arcade, right? There was the arcade, it was the official, the, the big uh, market, and there was a smaller uh, market that was more hidden in the menus, and uh, anything, any, any people was able to, to ship a game. It was, the only requirement was to have a PC and a, a retail Xbox, and you could program the game, again, with the XNA framework, and then uh, push the game on, uh, on this marketplace. So it was super cool, it was a super opportunity for small studio like us at the time. And then each year, then there was a contest to to promote the games that were on this uh, this thing, and we won the the contest. And uh, then we we earned some some cash, but some visibility also. And then we were able to go to on Steam on PC because at, the, at that time there was there was no green light on uh, on Steam. It was all about uh, you providing a, a spreadsheet uh, to the the guys at Valve and them uh, greenlighting or not your your game. Oh wow! So yeah, so it was helping to have an already shipped game on a console. It was working not that much, but because the, the marketplace was super hidden in the in the Xbox uh, menu. But yeah, that was uh, super helpful, helpful because we we won this contest and uh, Microsoft was okay with the game and it it helped it helped. So it. At what point, I remember, Guillaume, the uh, indie game, The Movie, which I'm sure you remember, yeah. was a documentary about indie games. I remember seeing uh, the main character from Blocks That Matter, Tetrabot. Uh, the icon for Tetrabot was like on the DVD cover or something like that for indie game, The Movie. Was that after the Steam release? Or do you remember when that was? Uh, <laughs> it's out to know the timeline. But I, I don't even know it that we were <laughs> on the... On the indie game, the movie. I, I don't know. The, the, <laughs> I just took the sure? image. <laughs> That's so funny. Because I was so excited when I saw that. Because I love that was uh, that movie came out at a very important time in my life. When yeah, I was yeah, video yeah. Games. We saw the movie because it was so inspiring. Because at the time, the, our models, the, our international models were the the mid the the mid team, I guess the the Super Meat Boy team. Mm-hmm. Because team they were, I think that was what they were called. Team Meat, yeah. <laughs> Super tricky. Uh, but super simple. Yeah, there were two people like us, a designer and a programmer and stuff like that. But besides that, we <laughs> didn't have uh, much success than, than that game. But there were super inspirational stuff to, to see. The, those guys uh, making a small flash game, then taking so much years to, to build that Super Meat Boy uh, game. And then, yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, this, this, this movie was also important for us and uh yeah I, gu- I guess maybe it's uh i don't know if if we are already in the, in the on the jacket and stuff like that i don't, I don't even know <laughs> you know so that's yeah. so funny yeah i remember <laughs> I, I was so excited when because i that was when i was into blocks that matter uh closer to when it released that I, I noticed that i think it was like there was a physical edition of the movie you could buy through some website and tetrabot was on like the the, the case and i was like wow that's so cool good for them <laughs> I don't even know that. 
you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should buy this physical edition. It's still uh, out there. <laughs> but yeah, that, it was this game. I don't know why, because it it was. Uh, I I will not say it's a ripoff of Minecraft because it's an homage. <laughs> it's a two D homage of uh, Minecraft because this game was so huge at, at the time we discovered it in 2008 or 9 I guess uh, when it was the beginning of the game when it was uh, only um, the, the building mod of the game and uh, it was so funny to play with and only made by a guy and it was so inspirational so yeah so we decided to to make the that homage game to, to Minecraft so even the, the graphics were looking uh, like the, the design of the blocks in Minecraft. So we were lucky, that, lucky enough that uh, any, uh, any illegal stuff uh, was blocking off, uh, us, was preventing us from shipping the game on, on consoles or on PC for real money. Because sometimes you, are, you have, you have uh, fun, fun games or stuff like that that are free and uh, not main, meant to be uh, commercial. But here we were <laughs> commercialing commercializing the, this stuff and we were lucky enough that uh, the game were, is, is still there. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So yeah, Blizzard Matter was really huge for two guys with no prior experience in shipping a game because we were both at Ubisoft and both of our projects were, were always killed in the end. So it, it was our first shipped game because it's important to develop games but the hardest thing Honestly, is to to ship to finish it. It's easy uh, to start a game uh, on your own, but it, it's super hard to finish. In, to tell uh, now, at that point, we can ship the game. There is no stuff we want to add because there is always stuff you want to add and and stuff like that. So yeah, this game uh, was our first one, and it was su successful because it was only made by two people. We don't have that many. Uh, number of players on, on the in the end, but it was enough for two people. And then we we met with uh, incredible guys like you, and uh, <laughs> it was a, a cool ride. And then it, we, we don't want to, uh, to to make a sequel because people wanted to have a blocks of blocks that matter uh, too. Uh, but we don't. I don't know why <laughs> we were silly at the time. I guess and. Uh, for us, we always wanted to make a, a new IP each time we, we we make a game. But then we spent, I guess, one or two years prototyping uh, a lot of games and always uh, killing them. So we were like we were at Ubisoft, you know. We were making games, then decided it was not uh, that good enough or not f that fun enough or, or I don't know. And then uh, killing that. So yeah. And in the end, we we, ch we chose to make some kind of a sequel of, of Black That Matter. It was called uh, Tetrobot Co. I don't know if uh, my English is... <laughs> yeah, Tetrobot Co. It was, yeah. I, I played that as well. It's very fun. And then it was uh, more like a, a smartphone uh, design game to be play on a, on a smartphone and play on a computer also, but because a lot of people wanted to have a block set matter on, a, on their phone. And we were like, oh no, we, we will have to put a virtual joystick in, in the game. We don't want that. Stuff like that. We were so silly when I, when I thought about it. 
But yeah, and then we we chose to to make a some kind of a sequel, but with another characters that is fixing uh, tetrobots and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I remember uh, Tetrobot and Co. I think it. I don't. I don't remember it having a a virtual uh, thumbstick. Wasn't it like swipe based? You would swipe where you wanted the the robot to uh, what blocks uh, you wanted it to mine, something like that. Yeah, it was. Many uh, points and click games. You you point you point the the place you want to go, and your bot will try to to do the path. In fact, there is no direct control on on the on the robot. So yeah, you can play it on on the phone or with your mouse cursor or stuff like that. And uh, this is not a platformer or like the the first game was. It's just a point and click game, kind of. And How long can... after you made Blocks That Matter did you bring out this one? Uh, I guess it's three years after. <laughs> okay. Because, or two years, I don't know. It's 2011 yeah. <laughs> for the first ago. game. And I guess it's two years after. And we spent a year uh, making uh, three or four game experiments and never released them or pushed them further. further. So yeah, and uh, that game was not so successful, but it was still uh, still fun for the players. And there is still this uh, in-game uh, map editor to to share your levels and stuff like that. And uh, after that, uh, in fact, for this game, this game was uh, some kind of a pretext to to raise the team up and uh, bring two more people in the team. So it was four people. Oh wow! And uh, we still the four people was enough to make the game because it's some kind of a simple game, but it was a game to start uh, to practicing, to, to, to work with other people because we spent so much time, the two of us, then uh, if we wanted to, to bring back our first project that was Seasons, uh, we had to increase the, the size of the team. So TetraWatt was a, a good game to practice the, a team of four people. You know? And then we were able to, to start working on Seasons After Fall, what will become Seasons After Fall, the game we wanted to make at the beginning of the, the studio, uh, this little fox uh, walking around and changing the seasons at will and stuff like that. It's a so, beautiful yeah. game. It's a beautiful game that everyone listening should go and check out still. Uh, it's a, is it hand-painted? Yeah, so it's it's Jero. <laughs> I don't know if we, we listen, but it's uh, only one graphical guy that uh, was painting the, the all the all the game basically and it's very inspired by uh, a Rayman uh, technology called UBART framework I don't know if you remember uh, when they they reboot the the Rayman uh, franchise they make Rayman and then Rayman uh, Rayman Origins I guess it was called and for that they developed uh, some kind of uh, cool technology called UBART framework uh, where you have skeleton uh, Animation for the 2D characters, where you have uh, tools to to draw the the terrain with uh, vectorial shapes, and then your the the engine is uh, wrapping up uh, the the visual around it. So as a level designer, you just have to to uh, control to manage control points, control points, and uh, you have a, a spline. I don't know if I'm getting too technical or not, but you draw lines basically, and uh, the engine is. Uh, is uh, building the visual for that line. For example, the, you said uh, the ground will be, will be flat, then uh, a small slope. You only draw the, the line, the, the collision, and then the, the engine is uh, generating the visual. 
So it was, it was super cool technology to, for a small team. And we tried to reproduce the, that technology uh, to bring that game. So the game visually is, uh, I guess it's our, it's our best, uh, our best game visually. But in terms of design, it's not that, that well, but yeah, we, we don't, we cannot make, uh, all the, the thing, uh, super, super fun, I guess. So visually it was cool. It was a great experience, but, uh, in terms of game design or the story is, is cool, but kind of slow to, to unwrap. But yeah, it's not the perfect game, <laughs> but yeah, it's still a, a cool, uh, ambient game. If you want to, to travel in, in the forest and uh, to have some, some, Poetic uh, mood, yeah. Yeah, you know, now that you're talking about Rayman, the the graphics, uh, the the graphical style of Seasons After Fall, really is reminiscent of uh, Rayman Legends, Rayman Origins, yeah. those games. With how lush they are, I mean, it's super lush wildlife. It kind of reminds me of Ori and the Blind Forest, but you know, not not 3D. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because. Uh, Rayman, when we saw Rayman, we, we wanted to go that way in terms of technology. And using the same technology bring us to have the, the same feeling of individuals. Um, for example, we have a lighting system in the, in the 2D game with seasons. And that's why they were doing in Rayman Legends. So when you saw the game side by side, there is a, a lot of similarities. And then we, we have the, this natural setting with the, the grass and the, and the sun and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's normal that there is uh, some similarities, and the techniques is is the same for animating Rayman or animating the the fox. Sorry about the noise. It's my parents right <laughs> now that are moving the the stores. Sorry. Um, and then yeah, technically the there are pretty similar uh, technical uh, engine game engine uh, that we use and then uh, the, the the mood of the game is not the, the same because Rayman is all about uh, smashing things and going fast and then uh, Away in the Blind Forest is another uh, kind of game I guess because he, it's so much detail than uh, than uh, Rayman or our seasons and uh, the technique is, is not the same for building the game it's uh, like you said they this is 3D uh, characters that are rendering rendered in, in the textures to be flat, but at the beginning it's a 3D character, like they they were doing on the Super NES. I don't know know if you remember the Donkey Kong uh, mm-hmm. Country games. It's a, it was a, a similar technique. The the character, the main character, was done in a silicon graphics uh, computer in 3D, then rendering rendered in the texture in the flat texture, and the spreadsheet was generated from a 3D animation, in fact. So the, the console was not able to run a 3D game, but it was a, able to, to render a, a spreadsheet. So the, that's how they, they, they went uh, with that graphical uh, breakthrough on the NES. And uh, we is, is going that, that way, you know. It's not similar techniques, but at the end, uh, the, the mode is pretty similar. And, oh, and, and it really we, holds up. Like Donkey Kong Country still really holds up graphically. I think those games yeah. are beautiful for one yeah, and two. That's that's awesome. Uh, I saw a footage not so long time ago, and it's still uh, yeah, it's still magic, <laughs> magical. Uh, so so Guillaume, with your games, uh, Blocks That Matter, Tetrabot and Co. In Seasons After Fall, uh, the first you know all of them are pretty fundamentally different. 
So what would you say were the big inspirations behind each of these games? Uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously I Minecraft. Oh yeah, Minecraft <laughs> for the first one. And Tetris, because we are a big fan of Tetris. And uh, in the first game, you, you only can uh, put the blocks 4x4 four four in the environment, uh, forming a Tetromino. And uh, for the second one, it was... Um, we wanted we didn't want it to make a sequel, but it was okay to be in the same uh, in the same setting and the same story. In the extended blocks that matter universe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were silly. <laughs> and then uh, we wanted to be more accessible to to people because uh, Blocks That Matter was mixing puzzle game and platforming. And it's kind of opposite. Uh, yeah, there is a lot of players that love puzzles, but they don't love uh, the platforms uh, aspect of it because they are they, they are not that that good at uh, making precise jump and stuff like that. And that's a mistake we made with the first game. So for the second game, we were um, focus, focusing on what we prefer in the first game. It was uh, the, the puzzle uh, part, not the platforming part. The platforming was just just the the way of moving in the in the levels, and uh, so for for the second game, we we we, we the, the inspiration was uh, how to do puzzle game without platforming skills mainly. So we do we didn't uh, think about existing games. Maybe the existing game making uh, exactly the, the same thing that we we did with uh, the point and click stuff. So yeah. Uh, the, the inspiration from the for the second game, I guess, was was the first game. <laughs> what we we wanted to have in the in the first game, and what the, we we don't want it to to uh, let the player uh, experience. The platform the platform the platform was too hard in the first game, and it was we didn't we didn't realize that it was uh, the opposite uh, skills uh, for a player. You know, uh, the, the the platforming was not. That important for us, so we we had to to find a, another way to replace the platform, and it was the point and click uh, stuff. So even that, uh, even my, my mother can can play the the second game, for example. She's not a, a gamer, and it's not hard to to click to click on the or to to touch a a block and see your character try to to grab it or to move around it, you know. So yeah, that was uh, the inspiration to to let more player. Uh, be involved in the game so what uh you said seasons was the initial game you guys wanted to make yeah who uh how'd you think of that idea like what made you want to make that from the get-go and then come back to it like so many years later so the first we, we were making small games to to decide what game we want we we want we would make or at first in the studio and uh, I came with uh, the, the idea because at the time I was really in the string theories I don't know if you the Einstein string, the string theories that say that there is a uh, more than, than uh, three or four dimensions if we mm -hmm. we take the the time as a dimension and uh, the first game I wanted to make I, I pitched it to to William the, the other confounder and I said to him yeah it would be cool if we have a game with 11 dimensions <laughs> and then we can we can switch between <laughs> one and another to solve puzzles, you know. And we since we we cannot uh, understand what are on the the other dimension than than the three or four that we know, we can uh, make a thing, and it will be funny. 
<laughs> and he was like, well, <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe the seasons are good dimensions, you know. Every, everybody knows the, the four seasons. And maybe we can go with the seasons. So that, that, that started that way, you know. It was me trying to, to make a game on string theories. <laughs> him to rationalize, rationalize a thing and say, well, it will be hard to explain to people that this uh, dimension is doing uh, that thing, you know? <laughs> and uh, and That's how really you, interesting. you're presenting. So yeah, string theories, uh, I'm still really fan of all the stuff, but it's hard to make a game uh, on it, I think. Or, or maybe it's it's not... That are, but at the time we decided to, to go with the seasons as dimension. And then it was uh, still, uh, in the end, a uh, hard uh, um, uh, choice to make because it means that uh, we had to create uh, four versions of the same level design and uh, that the, there should be an interesting thing to, to do in all the seasons. It sounds like you, you gave yourself four times the amount of work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, anyway. have you ever, did you ever play the, um, the Game Boy Color Legend of Zelda games? Uh, yeah. Like Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons? Oracle of Seasons. William played those, those games because he played a lot of games. Uh-huh. And uh, I, did, I, I never played it. And I, uh, I'm curious about how they, they handle the seasons. Is it the same environment with another season? Or is yeah, it... so yeah. the way the game used the season mechanic was um, it, the, the world map was... I believe in like some sort of disarray, like all the seasons were messed up. So you would go to a zone and it would be winter and then you would go to a zone and it would be summer and it would just be kind of all messed up. And the, the main item you got and would um, upgrade as you played the game, it was this rod that if you stood on a stump and swung it, it would change the season to the next that it would be in like a calendar. Okay. Um, so you would go to an area and like, let's say it was winter and there's this huge snowbank that you couldn't get past. Uh, if you came back later and you had the ability to change the season to summer, you could go there, get on the stump, swing your rod, and then it will change to summer and the snow will be gone and you can progress. Yeah. And so they would, they would do that in a lot of different uh, elements around the map where you would have to switch to different seasons uh, to progress like through little puzzles and to unlock new areas. So at the end of the game, you basically you, you can go everywhere and change the seasons uh, everywhere, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But it's a similar thing we made. <laughs> and uh, at the beginning, we were uh, thinking that we will be able to make some tricks with uh, relighting stuff or changing the, making some post effects to to simulate uh, winter or, or stuff like that. But in the end, a lot of stuff were uh, uh, draw uh, four times. <laughs> yeah. For each element, for example, a bush, a bush <laughs> in a given place is, uh, there is four versions of him uh, in the end. So it was four, four times the work. <laughs> so the game, the game is not that big in terms of, uh, of the environment. It's multiplying himself over himself four times. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was interesting, but it was pretty hard for for Giro, the the graphic guy, because yeah, yeah, I think he had the sensation to do the the work four times and to find interesting uh, stuff in the other seasons. 
visually to differentiate the, the season. Because uh, the Zelda games, it wasn't Game Boy, I guess. So there was basically no colors in, in that game. So yeah, yeah. I guess there, there was graphical elements that was suggesting it was uh, the snow, for example, uh, snowflakes falling from the, the sky or, 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 or snow uh, accumulated. Yeah, it was all sprite based. So, you know, as from an art perspective, they could they just reused a lot of the sprite work like fall. There would be leaves on the ground and then winter there's snow. So it wasn't very art intense. If you're doing a hand drawn version of that, that sounds like it'd be a lot more (laughs) intensive. Yeah. Yeah. And then since we we had some lighting, there was there was fall version of the lighting and stuff like that, some ramps to tweak and stuff like that. So it was super, super hard for the graphic guy. It was, it was also hard for William, who was the designer and the level designer, to find uh, interesting ideas and to have to re-explore some areas. Like you say, when you have the ability to switch to winter, you have to to uh, revisit the the already uh, visited environments and uh, make interesting uh, things in there. And the first the first work in the environment must be not so boring because you can't switch seasons, but it has to be interesting enough to, to keep the player uh, in your game, playing your game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was super challenging. This game was super challenging and it was a poetic game and we wanted to make it, but it was irrational in terms of uh, money making. If you want to, to make money, you don't <laughs> make a game like this. You you make a a gorgeous uh, 2D games, but there is only ver- one version of the of the yeah one version <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like Rayman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, today, you know, if Seasons After Fall was released by a big publisher, it would they would probably sell each season as a uh, microtransaction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so and it's cool the, you guys didn't do that. Yeah, we were making Swing 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 was about making games that we wanted to play. What's not making game that will make us millionaire, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Just thousand errors. It, it's cool. It, it, it stayed this way, you know? And uh, everybody was happy with uh, making not so so well-selling uh, games, you know? But making games that we were happy to, to do. There was no uh, money uh, in your mind when, when you were making the games. Even if it costs, it it costs money to to make a game, obviously, because it was for people. It was then at at some point in the, in the game, we uh, we bring more people uh, temporary to help us with uh, VFX or or stuff like that, and even uh, some design. Uh, the guy Jan uh, that made the, the sounds for Blocks That Matter and Tsubot and Co made the the sounds for for seasons, and it was. Uh, Four version of of the the musics. For example, you, you are in winter. There there is a team. And you you go to to fall, and it's another team, musical team. You know, you, you have to compose four times. Also. Oh yeah. So is yeah. Is this game on Steam? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on Steam. Uh, mm, I'll have to check this out. I can send you uh, some key if you want. And um. Oh yeah. sure. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, Steam is cool about that. <laughs> You can generate keys and send it to people. That's cool. 
And, and we the, promise not to resell yeah, your keys. Well, I mean, I'm going to send mine straight to G2A, so just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no problem. And yeah, <laughs> this game was... It's irrational to make a, a commercial game like this, but we wanted to make um, this, and yeah. I, I don't regret making this game, but if we... After that, it was hard to, to continue as a studio. Uh, so Submarine is still existing right now, but we are not making games. It's a dormant uh, society just to to keep the, the game in the in the store. Uh, for example, if you, if uh, Swing Swing Submarine was uh, was uh, destroyed, we will have to uh, remove all the games from uh, the store. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So and so from now, it's, it still exists, but uh, there is no nobody working on, on the game, on Swing Swing Submarine game right now. Well, Guillaume, I, I think it's so cool that you were a part of this big uh, swell, this big wave of like really beautiful, quirky indie games that uh, right now it seems like the market is kind of inundated, like flooded with indie games. Like on Steam, people complain yeah. about how the Steam store is just absolutely flooded and you can't even tell you know, what the good new games are because there's so many. But I, I, I think when Blocks That Matter came out, um, and Tetra yeah. Co. It was a lot less flooded, and it's it's yeah. really cool. I think that you were you were a part of that whole movement. Yeah, Blocks that matter. It was just perfect because even a small game like us, with no prior games and no history at all, we stay in the front page about for about a week. Wow! Oh wow! That's huge. With, without marketing, without anything, you know. At the time, it was like that. It's it's a five dollar game, you know. And we still, we still were on the on the first page for a week. For Tetrabotenko, uh, two years after that, it was uh, a day. Yeah, in a day it was flooded and you were not uh, visible uh, on the front page. So you have to to bring your people with uh, advertise in Facebook or I don't know but how you do that because we were doing that, not doing stuff like that. It was just to compare you. Yeah. A day versus a week uh, in the two weeks, in two years uh, interval. So, yeah. And the, the first game, when you want to put the, a game on Steam uh, at the time, you have to, to speak uh, physically with people from Valve, you know, by email. You email the guy, you say, oh, there is a new version, and it was an FTP at the time. There is a new version of Lock That Matter on the FTP. Uh, can you push the, that version on Steam, please? And the guy was, uh, okay, I, I'm doing wow, that. Wow, that's crazy. And it was super, uh, super proximity with the guy. And then... Was it, uh, was it true that at the time, in order to get your game on Steam, you had to beat Gabe Newell at a game of Half-Life Deathmatch? <laughs> or is that just a rumor? No, I think it's a rumor. <laughs> but it would be funny. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, at, the, at the time it was a, a formula, a, a form on, on the website. You you fill the form and uh, you you send the build of the game and uh, the previous uh, quote from the the press and stuff like that. If you are uh, already shipped game, and then they decide uh, if they they put the, your game on Steam or not. And uh, the answer was not argumented. If it was yes, it was not. Uh, Yes, because uh, we think it will be interesting. It's interesting to have this game, and the opposite was always always also true. If they say no, you you want you have no reason why they they say no. Yeah, it was like that. But when you were on Steam, you you was in that community speaking to them, and you you spoke to a person to 
push your games or an update on Steam. And then there were so many games uh, that they automated the, the process and there is no there was no no people to talk to anymore, you know. You know, I uh, I was speaking with an indie dev, uh, the develop Alex Krieger, the developer of Crossnick on the Switch, and uh, he was telling me that I think the Switch eShop is still like that. I think you have to like have a meeting with Nintendo oh, nice. to pitch your game to get on the store. I was not uh, aware of that, but it's super cool. I think it's super cool because with Black Dot Matter, that small game, we went with a, a daily deal. You know, the, the the daily deals on Steam. We went with a a uh, special uh, weekend. I, I don't know the name they, they put on that. Uh, so like a Steam sale? Is that what you mean? Yeah, Steam sales. The, the, the daily the daily deal. Uh, I don't I don't know if if it's still called the daily deal. They, yeah, the, they still have the daily deal. Yeah, and at the time there was only one day, one game per, per day. It was not two two hundred games in the daily deal and. Uh, a midweek, uh, yes, that was a midweek uh, madness, they call it, I guess. Midweek, midweek madness or weekend madness. And uh, it was super, super cool to, to do that because uh, in terms of sales, it was like skyrocketing your, your sales. I bet. And uh, no, even if you have a daily deal or stuff like that, it's not that, uh, that much in comparison to to regular day. But yeah, and you, you add those opportunities by talking to someone after that, it's super hard to 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 say, "Hey, I want a daily deal or midweek madness. Uh, can you please do that for me?" <laughs> Since there is no people to talk to anymore, so you have to find other way to, to do that. Hmm, interesting. So yeah. Well, now you you're so at a was... bigger studio now, right? You're at a yeah. You tell... So after seasons after fall, uh, I say to William, "Well, I want to to do something else," and because. Swing Swing Submarine was more about uh, surviving uh, in terms of, of finance than uh, prospering. <laughs> and I said to him, uh, well, I want to, to to build a family and stuff like that. So it would be hard if uh, I have no not enough money, you know, because we were not paying us as much as our employees, but we were still giving us some little money. But it was, uh, yes, much more much was much more like a survive mod <laughs> than uh, anything else. And then I went to to another Montpellier studio that uh, was across the, the street when I was at Montpellier. And uh, it's a studio called Wild Sheep Studio. And it's run by uh, the, the world of video game is small. The, the, the studio is uh, run by Michel Ancel, the, the guy that, that made the, the Rayman uh, origin, Rayman Legend stuff. and uh, Rayman himself. The Rayman franchise himself. Itself. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of funny because <laughs> they inspired us. I worked at Ubisoft at, uh, at the time. He, he worked at Ubisoft since the beginning, I guess. And uh, he wanted to have a, a side project from away from Ubisoft. So he funded that little studio uh, that is now right now composed of, I guess, uh, 40 people, I guess. So it's still a small team, but it's a bigger team that Swing Swing Samarine. And uh, the game they made, they are making is, uh, much bigger. It's called Wild. So it's, it's a short name for <laughs> you. For now it's Wild. And uh, it has been announced a long time ago <laughs> at the Gamescom, I guess, uh, in a Sony, uh, uh, keynote. And since then, 
it's been, I guess, six or seven years. So it's still in development. <laughs> it's not dead, but it takes time. So Wild is a, a the trailers I've seen for it are all PlayStation, uh, yeah. PlayStation trailers, and you you I, we might be able to show those here in the in the video podcast. Um, if people haven't seen those, we'll certainly link to them. The um, so is Wild a PlayStation exclusive, or what's the relationship there? Uh, I don't know if <laughs> I can speak about that, but yeah, uh, at the beginning it's uh, it's a PlayStation exclusive because it's a it's a game uh, funded by Sony, and uh, we are it's not Wild Ship Studio is not a uh, what's called uh, a studio that is uh, owned by, first party. by Sony. Yeah, it's not a first party game uh, studio, but the game is. Funded by Sony, and uh, I don't know if it, there is other example like that. Uh, for example, um, the games from Quantic Dreams. Um, what was the name? <laughs> Every uh, Rain. Control. Uh, Every Rain. Uh, or yeah, uh, uh, Detroit Become Human. The, yes, Detroit Become Human was uh, funded by Sony, but the studio is not uh, a Sony studio. And now they are even uh, making games for themselves, I guess. And uh, yeah. So it's, I think it's the same deal uh, for this game. So I guess it will be a Sony exclusive for a time <laughs> because like for uh, Quantic Dream, now they are raising their, their game on PC uh, through the Epic Game Store. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what will be the, the platforms. I don't know. I, I guess it will be PlayStation 5, PlayStation, I don't know. <laughs> Not in the, in the ad department, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not in the in the in the in the upper level of the company. <laughs> it's still a small company, but there is still a, a big boss doing the decision. It's not big anymore. And yeah, so yeah, this game was pitched to Sony, and Sony decided to fund it. And uh, seven years later, it's still a, it's still in development. But yeah, it's a long, long process <laughs> because it's a new studio. They have to fund uh, the team. When I came three years ago in the in that. That studio, it was uh, still uh, they were still building the the team. There was a lot of turnover, people uh, leaving, people coming, and it's hard to to stabilize the game when the the team is not even stabilized, you know. And uh, yeah, so right right now the the team is pretty stable, I guess. From the three years uh, I spent there, uh, most of the people are still uh, here. So it's a cool. good point. It's a good point. That seems like that seems like a good sign. <laughs> yeah, and then we are making our our own engine to to run the game. So it's oh, wow. another another go, another uh, maybe crazy stuff. I don't know. So what was? Can you share anything about why you would choose to make your own engine rather than using one of the uh, one of the many others that? Uh, yeah, so that's a good question because. I, I was uh, at Swing Swing Submarine. We started to make games with uh, our own engine in some way, and then we quickly switched to Unity because it feels like uh, the way to go and was easier for for all of us to make the make tools quickly and stuff like that because there were a few people. And then uh, when I entered Wild, I asked them why 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 they chose the, their own technology, and first. It was because the game started seven years ago, and seven years ago there was not that much uh, uh, public engine, uh, powerful engine like that, like Unity and uh, Unreal. Unreal was not uh, that accessible at the time. It was not open source, and it was not uh, the, the licenses were super expensive. Uh, I think I don't know the exact uh, numbers for 
Unreal 4 or un, uh, Unreal 3 engine uh, licenses, but it was super high. Uh, so that that's the first one, but maybe we could have done a switch in the engine uh, from our own engine to uh, uh, Unreal Engine, for example, uh, later on, but they didn't decide to go that way. And uh, I think it's to have control, in fact, to, to make sure that uh, the feature you get, uh, you know how it works, you know how to maintain it, how to expand it. It's not a black box, you know. Uh, Unreal is less a black box now since it's open source, but you still have to understand the, the source code of the engine to expand it. If, if, for example, if the rendering is not uh, okay with, with you, if you are not okay with the rendering, you have to understand the, the engine and then uh, change that that, uh, that part. And maybe uh, later on, you have to, to keep up with uh, the main uh, Unreal Engine uh, source code from time to time, it, it will be uh, maybe some, some time hard to maintain, to still get the latest feature, for, feature from the engine and still uh, maintain your own feature, you know. But it's, if it was only me, <laughs> I will have go for Unreal, uh, personally, for this game. Yeah, cause because it, what's funny is yeah. uh, we, uh, August and I went to PAX East before the whole... Uh, pandemic before, yeah, the, world before the world ended um and we spoke with the uh, i believe it was just the creator of 20xx right i guess he was a creator mm-hmm. yeah the creator i think he was the he's the creative director of uh ba- what's that it's called like battery staple studio yeah. well, whatever the studio's <laughs> name was we were talking to him and he was saying 20xx and maybe even 30xx uh they they coded their own c++ engine and I remember yeah. him saying, that was the dumbest decision we ever made. I wish we could have, <laughs> I wish we could have just used Unity or something. Cause it, I guess it just added on yeah. a lot of complexity. Yeah. <laughs> but I understand Unity is still, um, how to, to step up with a, a, a double A or triple A game because yeah. it's still a, mostly a black box. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's but, not a whole lot of huge games using Unity. Yeah. And, uh, there it's yeah the, the unity is not making games internally and it, it, you feel it when you use the the tools the it's a good tool it's a super great tool but you can expand it as you as you want but the feature they put in the engine they are not that polished and uh, you often end up with bugs or stuff like that and they make a long time to to release the final version of of it uh, because they, they are not making games with the engine. Uh, Epic and the other side is making games with <laughs> the engine. And well, they're dogfooding it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a game like Fortnite, uh, it, there is a countless number of features that came from, from Fortnite that, that were integrated in the, in the main engine and uh, then everybody can use, like uh, the networking, uh, the running on the, on the, the downsiding of the game, the running on the mobile or running on a super high-end PC. All that stuff uh, was not existing in the engine at the, at the beginning, but they have to develop it for the game, and then they re-inject the, the stuff in the engine. And uh, so the feature you have in the Android engine are features that they, needed, they need to, to make their games, and they are useful features, and they... They are bulletproof feature. They are uh, production ready and everything you you want. Uh, and for example, uh, I, I don't know if you have you see the the Unreal Engine five. Uh, yeah, that looks really cool. Tech, I tech demo. Yeah, it looks amazing. 
and uh, they are bringing back a number of, of Unreal Engine 4 features for, uh, like Niagara, the particle system, uh, like um, uh, Chaos Physics, their new physics engine, and they are already existing feature, you know, but they are combining them with new feature like Nanite for the for the the geometry, the infinite geometry, if you want, and the Lumen for the dynamic lighting, global illumination, and all those those features are are fitting well, and it's already existing feature for for some of them, and they are already bulletproof, and uh, that's why they are going so fast, uh, bringing us. Uh, Super cool stuff like that because uh, their features are, are really strong because they, they use them in, in games. Unity on the other side, they, they think of a feature, they design it, but there's, there is no game to, to bullet, bulletproof the, the thing. Yeah. No. From what I've, because I've been uh, messing a little bit with uh, game development the past few months, and it's mostly been in Unity. And I, from looking at like kind of how Unity on, and Unreal are, it seems like if you're going to have a larger scope game, you go with Unreal. But if you're going to do something that's more like smaller or you just want to port to a bunch yeah. of things or even like mobile, uh, Unity seems like yeah, a place because yeah. it works well enough. But um, yeah. I can. Like, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. <laughs> yes. But everything, every time I, I try to, to launch Unreal because I. I still uh, try to 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 watch what is going on uh, on the engine, and even even if you don't use you, we don't use Unity or Unreal, I still check sometimes to time the feature, and it's super hard to to begin with Unreal. It, uh, I I don't know if uh, if I'm a good developer or not, but I've <laughs> some years behind me, and everything every time I launch Unreal, I'm like, oh gosh, it's <laughs> it's so hard to to get into, in fact. Unreal is super hard, and Unity is super accessible, in fact. And even in, in the UI of the tool, in the it's super understandable, but yeah, it's less powerful, I guess. Yeah, what can you, I don't know how much you've played with Unreal, but uh, a thing I heard about Unreal 4 was, um, like it was like a criticism. It's that Unreal, expects every game to be made with it to have a gun <laughs> and so like having a gun is like hard coded into a lot of uh, uh prefabs or something it, it was yeah, it, it was it the was... case at the beginning of the unreal 4 but now it's uh, okay. completely generic yeah. <laughs> i just thought that was pretty but yeah, i remember right. in uh, in right. uh, jason schreier's book blood sweat and pixels they talk about man i forget what game it was but there was a driving game where they had to uh they had to like code around each car basically holding a gun even if it wasn't visible <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah you're right the, the first time i messed with unreal it was when i was at swing swing submarine because they they made this open thing when you love something set it free or thing like that was the catch line <laughs> uh, and then I installed the engine, and I was like, "Whoa! How did you disable the the first person view and the gun? It was super hard. It was super super hard. And now the 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 last days version for me, some years now, are uh, completely completely generic, and uh, it's super cool. But it's still super hard to 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 understand because in the C plus plus side, you have a lot of uh, legacy." code mm -hmm. in fact and legacy techniques there is some inheritance some composition 
for the technical uh, side, and it's super hard to to understand. But yeah, you know, once you you get into it, you you make Unreal game 24 hours, <laughs> seven days a week. <laughs> I think you second nature. You used to yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Guillaume, with your game, Wild, uh, I'm not sure how much you can talk about it, but could you give us just an overview of what kind of game it is and what specifically you work on? Yeah. So Wild is about uh, a game about nature and uh, uh, shaman uh, stuff. And uh, in the game, you, you you explore the environment. So it, it's kind of open world. And you encounter some, some creatures, some animals. And at some point in the game, you can even control uh, those creatures uh, to solve situations and uh, and then it's it's super vague because I, I cannot tell all the, the the things. Of course, but yeah, the the, the spirit of the game is um, natural setting. Uh, you are some kind of a, of a shaman and you explore the game and you try to to restore the the, the environment and um, and I don't know, <laughs> it's hard. To, I don't know if <laughs> I can say much about it. But I think the the video you you find on the, on the internet will talk about uh, themselves. But yeah, some for example in the, in the video you have uh, you control some some eagle to to look around and find some some interesting spot to to go on. Or if you have to to go into a fight, you can control a, a bear and uh, and fight uh, other animals and stuff like that. And you you can create situations where uh, some creatures are. Fighting with each other, and you you are out of this, but you you are watching the, the result of your manipulation. But yeah, and I, yeah, I know it's still vague, <laughs> but I don't know if what I've, I'm allowed to. Yeah, better to, to say about. less than too much. So uh, what yeah. you're sharing, yeah. I appreciate, especially as a shaman main in uh, World of Warcraft. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there is no Minecraft <laughs> stuff in, in that game. Are you serious? So, what? <laughs> I don't You're not going to sneak in a tetrabot yes, Easter egg? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I will not say that. Nope. But yeah, the, the, hey, maybe Minecraft is not that far because it's a large world with nature, with some creatures you, you encounter. But there is not blocky style and uh, combination, combining blocks to, to make weapons and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that stuck out to me uh, when I was watching trailers that have been released for Wild is the sense of scale. So there's there was a part in one of the trailers where you dive underwater, and underwater there's this gigantic like skeleton throne with like a huge like giant yeah. humanoid creature sitting yeah. on it, and you're this tiny person, and this skeleton's probably a hundred times larger than you. And I, I love that kind of stuff in games, and like the shamanic aesthetic of everything. Yeah. I thought made it look really unique. And there was a part yeah. where like a giant is like coming out of a giant tree trunk, and you're this yeah. tiny human just staring yeah, up at that. it. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, I can talk about that. So yeah, there is gigantic stuff, and uh, it's pretty impressive when you are in front of it. Even if you are not a VR game, uh, it's still impressive. Yeah, when you you have this giant stuff that is doing that is interacting with you, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's there is an epic moment in the, in the game. It, that's all I, I can say. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. And yes, so... there is underwater. <laughs> Uh, as the, the the trailer saw uh, show, uh, yeah, it's interesting game. But as you see, there is a lot of things. There is giant creatures. There is underwater. There is open world. 
there is a, a procedural generation, there is a manual generation of the for the interesting part that we want to design. So there is a lot of work in terms of tool, and uh, there is a, a lot of work in terms of technology to run the game, and there is a lot of work in terms of design, because sometimes you, we have generated stuff, but it's not interesting to play. So we have to figure out new rules to to spicy the the design, and uh, yeah, that's I guess that's why it's been seven years and the game is still not uh, released, and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I know right before the podcast, you and I were kind of geeking out about the no clip documentaries on YouTube. These really great, yeah. um, uh, these really great video game documentaries that I always talk about on the podcast. But um, a really cool one they had was on the development of Fallout seventy six, and I think somewhere in that documentary they talked about how in uh, Elder Scrolls games and Fallout games, they'll frequent in the development of those they'll frequently start with a completely procedurally generated map and then take like the next year to go comb over every inch that was generated <laughs> and kind of tweak it and uh, yeah. tailor it to actually be this beautiful handmade world. Yeah, that you end up there in. is yeah, definitely in wild there was that, that thing. Uh, at some point we have uh, generated maps were super impressive in the first place. When when you play it, you are yeah, yeah well, <laughs> it's not Breath of the Wild, you and then you 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 have to have some some tools to have influence of on the generation and to to put your uh, manually uh, crafted level design at some point in some part of the game, like the rain. <laughs> and you yeah, know, uh, one thing we talk about systemic. a lot. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that one thing that Matt and I talk about a lot in uh, on the podcast is how much we both love procedurally generated games and the replayability that comes with them. Yeah. Um, like one of my favorite games that I always talk about is The Binding of Isaac. And yeah. that game is always random every time you play it, like Diablo or Hades, two really good dungeon crawlers. Um, so is that is that so is that a reason why you guys went with a procedural generation to to make a replayable experience, or was it more so to just speed up the development of a huge world so you can just spin up a procedurally generated world and then go tailor it later? Uh, it's a good question. I, I think it was to be to 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 design a large world. Uh, in fact, more than a replayable world, because right now, if you die in uh, in wild, the, the the world is uh is not regenerating; it's still the same version of the map, but it's a big map. So yeah, I think the main reason was to have a large map with uh, credible details, you know, because we are simulating the erosion or stuff like that to build the map. So the map is physically uh, believable. <laughs> I don't know if mm -hmm. it's the good terms, and I think it was uh, the main reason. And you, as a developer, if the map is not good enough or not pleasant, we can totally rebuild the map in matter of days rather than years. But you still have some years to develop the tools. <laughs> oh sure. But at, at some points, we we had a map at some points that was like that, and uh, we decided to change it. And the next day, uh, I check out the data, and the the world was just just change you know so it it's cool in that way to to develop when the map is not good enough or you want to improve it or ch change it on a large scale you can count on your procedural tools to change it in a day rather than uh, years you know but still it's a challenge to to find the right balance between generated uh content and manually crafted uh parts so yeah and you have the to have the tools to mix them together 
but like you said, Fallout, they, they were uh, uh, they were fighting against the the, the procedural uh, engine, and yeah, it's a, it's it's a challenge, I guess. But Breath of the Wild <laughs> again is a super uh, cool example of a handcrafted map. The map, from what I've understood, understood the map is totally handcrafted. <laughs> it's so huge. So uh, I don't I don't know many people who are designing the map, but it's super impressive. Yeah, right before in a uh, PPC, a pre-pod conversation, we were talking about how impactful playing Breath of the Wild was for your development team and how it just made you think about like the uh, how to make uh, yeah. world games. So yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Breath of the Wild and how your thoughts on that might have fueled... Uh, oh man, we're being attacked by something. <laughs> uh, yeah, do you want to I talk think, a little bit about Breath of the Wild and kind of the, its uh, impact on your work? I think every, yeah, every... People that play Breath of the Wild thought uh, this game was scripted or stuff like that, and then you realize that you have a complete a different experience from your 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 friend, and still the the game feels like it's super well designed. For example, where, where we were, even when you explore the the, the environment, uh, you understand that it's the way to go. I don't know. I don't know how to describe the, the thing, but you're not lost, even if you don't use the map. And uh, you have the sense of discovery every time you you reach a, a hill. And it's, 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 it feels super easy, <laughs> but I think it's super hard to, to obtain. So well, that was the first game. The, uh, when I played Breath of the Wild, I mean, that's probably in my top three favorite games of all time. But when I first played it, the sense of place that you have and like how you have to get up to a high vantage point to see other parts of the map that you might not be familiar with. I had never seen that in a game before. I, I felt like a lot of other open world games that I'd played, like in Assassin's Creed or Skyrim, it was less so about the, like the sense of discovery you get in those games is less so about um, finding things geographically for yourself and more so uh, just little secrets being hidden everywhere. So the sense of discovery is just kind of this constant thing you're guided through versus this kind of self, uh, self-guided self discovery that you get with Breath of the Wild, where you peek behind a mountain and all of a sudden you see this amazing vantage point that, you know, you've never seen before. Yeah, and it's really easy. <laughs> In fact, it's super hard to design a game like this. And uh, yeah, it's, I think Michel is not playing games so much to not be uh i, I think uh uh his mind want to 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 be alone and not know what's it's going out but i think it, he played the game and he, he feels the same way and it's influencing the the open world games forever because it it's a it's a thing that you didn't ex- experience on in other games even now even with uh, new games like uh Horizon, Horizon, or stuff like that. That they were still in development, I guess, or already in development when uh, Breath of the Wild came out. But still, there is no equivalent, I think. Uh, yeah, it's it's just such a for how uh, different Breath of the Wild was compared to other open world games uh, that have come out. It's interesting that it, it feels like its effects haven't really been been. Uh, seen yet in video games because it, i don't think 
I think the systems in Breath of the Wild are so complex and well-built that other yeah. studios just haven't had the time to implement things like them yet. I mean, yeah. you get some influences that you see in games. Like I know I haven't played Ghost of Tsushima, but I've heard that its open world is kind of reminiscent of the open airness of uh, Breath of the Wild. Uh, but yeah. It just feels like Breath of the Wild is a game that will be extremely influential in video games, but uh, we haven't seen a lot of them yet, which is interesting. Yeah, and I don't think if it's uh, easily reproducible because, like I said, I think the main map was mainly handcrafted, and it's super hard to to handcraft uh, such a big map, and to have the team that is able to do that, uh, there is not much studio that will do that. So a lot of studio are going to into procedural uh, generating content, and it's not the same. <laughs> I think I think you feel the the handcrafted uh, in Zelda. It, even if you we can maybe you, you you don't realize it's it's a it's been handcrafted. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's super magical moment. Uh, I don't know how to describe the the design the level design of this game. It's so so pretty. <laughs> Oh, even it's if, beautiful. Even if you're lost, you, I don't know, it's it's, it's magical. <laughs> you still you still encounter a good, uh, interesting things to to watch or interesting things to do, and you don't have to work that much in the game to encounter those things. It's not like an emptiness between two interesting uh, stuff. So yeah, it's super. It's I don't know if it it would be reproducible that easily. That easy, yeah. Yeah, so, it felt like I remember when Breath of the Wild first came out. Just the, the littlest things, like people people mentioning certain you know animals that you encounter, certain uh, pretty views. Like everything felt like a spoiler when talking about Breath of the Wild because it was just so full of discovery that yeah. that sense of you figuring out something yourself, figuring out how to get somewhere, figuring out um, like a beautiful vantage point. All of that was kind of part of the story that you were building throughout the game versus just like checking off things on a checklist of stuff you've discovered like it all felt very organic yeah and it's still pretty systemic also you, you can cut a tree and use it as a as a boat in the river or you can cross the river with uh, that tree that you just cut and stuff like that and that is super interesting too because we definitely want the systemic thing in, in wild and i uh, will see <laughs> if we if we manage to do interesting things but yeah, it's super, super smart and super well designed. It's yeah, I think it's master, it's a masterpiece that <laughs> it will be hard to to make a better design in game that that this one. Maybe a pretty, prettier or I don't know, but yeah, it's it's amazing. Even if technically it's not that, uh, yeah, it's beautiful, but it's running on the Switch, you know, and it was it was it was running on the Wii U. <laughs> So, so yeah. Yeah, it was originally a Wii U game specifically. Yeah. So the technique is not so important when you think about the game. <laughs> if the player is okay with that. And the yeah, the graphics, the design of the game is not that realistic. So it's okay. The the characters are a little bit uh, uh, cartoonish and stuff like that. So it's okay if the, the texture are, are not that defined or are not 4K textures. <laughs> The, the cloud are not volumetrics and <laughs> stuff like that. It's not a flight simulator, uh, the new one that will come out. Come out uh, oh, I'm so excited for that. That's yeah. going to be really cool. The, the, yeah, but the, it's not the way they, they took the, the Zelda game because 
obviously was not running on a Switch, and it's still a good game. But yeah, I don't know if Breath I'm... of the Wild is kind of a flight simulator, at least the way I play. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gliding simulator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ah, that's. But you can't find an existing place where you live. <laughs> it's not uh, modelizing the uh, the world, the entire yeah. world. <laughs> the map is a world. Yeah, but yeah, we will see what's wild. Wild, uh, not Breath of the Wild, but wild. It, it, there is a lot of wild <laughs> open world game. Breath of the Wild, uh, Horizon Dawn, uh, wild. I, I guess the the sequel is called Wild uh, something. Uh, Forbidden West. Uh, Forbidden West. Sorry, uh, it's the first one that. That was why the subtitle, I guess. Oh, yeah. We'll see <laughs> where Hawaii is taking us. But yeah, it's still an interesting thing to do, but we don't know if uh, the final game will be interesting enough. I hope so. But they, they, they take their time to, to make it that way. So it's cool. It's not like they are rushing the game. So, yeah. So we've talked about Breath of the Wild, the Horizon games as kind of inspirations for how grandiose a uh, a world can be is there any other games that your team has kind of taken inspiration from in other aspects uh for how you're taking wild uh i think horizon zero dawn was a it's not an inspiration but it's a thing that we look at to see uh what the the other games are making in terms of uh, nature and open worldness and creatures and stuff like that but i guess uh, Michel is not uh, looking around to to get inspired and stuff like that. He prefers to have the inspiration from very different games, I guess. And then, uh, for example, the giant things. Uh, maybe he saw that in, in other games. Maybe he was influenced by Shadow of the Colossus. I don't know. Yeah. It's not an open world. And still, uh, there is epic moments. And he wants those epic moments in the game. So you have giant creatures in the game. And uh, yeah. I think it's it works that way. Yeah, that's something that this generation in particular, I think, has really nailed is uh, a, like a sense of epic scale. Like you talked about Shadow of the Colossus. We had that remake of Shadow of the Colossus recently, a yeah. game that sticks out to me in terms of, I remember when I was first playing it, I was like looking up like I would at a skyscraper, like your first time in New York or something in uh, God of War. When you first encounter the giant serpent, I was thinking to myself, like, I've never seen something that big in a video game before. And I know God of War is a game that kind of sells itself on this uh, this epic scale. But um, having the, the the resolution that the PlayStation 4 does, it that's one of the, my favorite things about this generation is how epic you can make uh, the vistas in your game. Yeah. Yeah. And the field of view and the giant creatures and the other thing. Yeah. And the PlayStation 5, will be, I don't know <laughs> what it will be, but yeah. Yeah, but it's still challenging to make. It's not because you have uh, technology uh, that your design and your game will be interesting to play. So yeah, this is uh, always a balance to to find between technical stuff and fun stuff. Because in the end, the game is, is meant to be fun, else it will not be played, I guess. So maybe you, oh, yeah. you will have the most giant creature ever in the video game, but the game will be boring. So yeah, it's super tricky. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, the criticisms of Red Dead Redemption 2. I, I loved that game, and I know Matt did too, but a lot of people, I think, found the simulator aspect of the game a little too intense, where every time you kill an animal, you have to go through the animation of Arthur yeah. gutting the animal, taking its skin off, putting the skin on his horse, and that, that stuff gets kind of tiring and sometimes gets in the way, for some players, into yeah. the fun. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I have to admit, I preferred the first one, uh, the first Red Dead Redemption, uh, over the, the second one. Even if technically the second one is amazing. Uh, for me, the first one was uh, funnier because there was not all this uh, work to do. For example, uh, in Red Dead Redemption 2, you have a camp at the beginning of the game and you have a small town that is not so uh, close to you and you have to do a lot, a lot of, of mission between the, your camp and the, this city. And this is uh, always the, the same uh, the same path you, you, you take. Uh, you can take another path if you want, if you, have, if you are creative or, or so. But still, you have a lot of uh, FedEx thing to do. And I didn't uh, find the, this aspect on, for example, Death Running. Death Running is clearly a FedEx uh, video game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a Postmates simulator. <laughs> yeah. But it's still, it's, I was very much interested in uh, finding my way uh, in the environment. And in Red Dead Redemption, you have like this GPS uh, that I deactivated quickly because else you have the, the temptation to follow the, the yellow uh, line and don't explore the environment very much. So yeah. Well, well, that's one of the best parts of Death Stranding that I think yeah, I, I I mean, Death Stranding is, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but I mean, it's full of these Hideo Kojima quirkiness uh, moments and all of, I mean, it's a beautiful game. The story is really cool. But for me, the most, the coolest part about the game is how you chart your path across this open world. You draw lines on the map that then appear like on your HUD in the game on the ground that you can follow. So compared to a game, like if you've played the uh, Fable 2, I know is a game where uh, yeah. If you have an objective on the map, there's just a path in front of like going from your yeah. feet to yeah, the that was, point. Yeah. But in, in Death Stranding, it's kind of like that, but you're the one who draws that maps or who draws that line. Yeah. So you can totally mess up by not inspecting the map enough and putting you're putting that line that guides you over some like terrain that is impassable or, yeah, or you know, across a river some, that you can't go through. Style. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And uh, I don't know why, I, I don't know, Red Dead Redemption was. I prefer. I don't like so much the GTA games. They're they're a, a, a fun tool, a fun a fun toy, in fact, for me. But playing the game from beginning to end, it's not that funny because this this are roads and you are simulate you are a driver simulator. <laughs> you you take a car, you follow the road, you pick the mission, you follow the road. And for me, Red Dead Redemption, the first one was. Uh, well moment when I decided to cut under a field and not follow the, the 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 road. It's not a road because it's a dirty. I don't know the word, but yeah, the yeah. And you can cut, and if you meet up with a a, a bear or stuff like that, it's a it's a bad choice. But you have that bad choice of uh, cutting the down the the path you have to do to go to a mission. So for me, it was very cool. And in the second one, I don't find this feeling again. I don't know why. Maybe uh, I was following the path too <laughs> strictly. I don't know. But it was less uh, open to creativeness, I feel. that but That's a funny point you bring up about the uh, being able in the first game to, instead of following the road, dipping off into the forest and finding a bear. That, that's what makes Red Dead yeah. really cool over GTA. It's like if you take a different street in GTA, you don't find anything really different. 
you know you don't have a random yeah, bear know. attack you know yeah <laughs> that's there is Sasquatch. Sasquatch yeah. is in GTA Yeah, but 5. it's not like you're going to... You have a higher chance of running into a bear in the middle of the woods in Red Dead than, than a... <laughs> yeah. yeah, true. And I think that's what makes those worlds cool. But definitely yeah. comparing to like a lot of what other uh, games have started to do, I feel like Rockstar open worlds have started to definitely become a little uh, less like yeah, setting the bar, you know? <laughs> Yeah, there is a YouTube video that is uh, perfectly uh, trans uh, explaining my feelings about uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah, it's a it's video by uh, Nicky Jakey. It's called Oh my gosh, Rockstar's yeah. game design is outdated. It's 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 the feeling I get when playing Red Dead Redemption 2. It's a beautiful game with a technique a technique that is irreproachable and stuff like that but the game design is <laughs> not not uh, nowadays game design yeah i think uh, i know the exact video you're talking about Guillaume, yeah. and a, an interesting point made in that video is there was a point where the the, the guy who made the video nakey jakey where he encounters like a uh, like an underground poker ring running uh uh, in this like secret room in a building above a, a shop and he had to like steal something from a guy who was in that poker game and he figured out this really interesting way to sneak in and he thought he was like the most brilliant guy ever like he could sneak in and steal this stuff rather than i guess going in through the front door which is what the uh the guy who gave him the quest basically yeah. told him to do but as soon as he gets to the door he thought he could sneak into it's just closed and that's probably just because maybe the Rockstar developers had a certain uh, path in mind for you to take when you're yeah. when you're on this quest, but they didn't allow for that player creativity. Yeah, he explained that in previous GTA games there was more creativity. For example, he, he takes the example of a, a car that a, a target will take, and you have to kill the target. And if you know the car he will take, you can uh, uh, put some dynamite or, or explosive on the car and make it blow and it, it will work <laughs> rather than uh, having to chase the car. So it's stuff like that uh, is not existing in what it was to be. It's a regression. Uh, but, but I, I didn't play the, the world game, so maybe in the end it's more creative. But for the part I play, it was more like a go there, do that. There is no uh, <laughs> temptation to be creative. Uh, Maybe, maybe yeah. I didn't play it the right way. I don't know. Well, it seemed to me, I mean, I uh, I, got, I, I probably played about 40 hours into that game, but I, I didn't even finish it myself. But a thing I, I took away from it is that it seemed like the developers were really trying to tell you a story versus you forging yeah. your own path. And I mean, it was beautiful and it, it felt like a movie a lot of the times with even like the letterboxing of the screen with the black bars on the top and bottom yeah. uh, coming in during certain story moments. And it felt like a, you're watching or playing through like a Western movie, but you lose some of that organic feeling like that, like that sense of I'm the only person who has figured out this really interesting way to go about yeah. a mission or a quest like you do in Death Stranding or Breath of the Wild with just the way these worlds are constructed, facilitating that player creativity. Yeah, yeah. And even so, the first Red Dead Redemption, I, want to, I don't want to spoil the, the end of the game, but the end was super interesting. It was, all, I think all the players will get the same ending, but the path you took to, to get the, that ending is really different from one player to another. Maybe you, you got that in Red Dead Redemption too, but 
uh, I don't know, when I, I see something playing Red Dead Redemption, like uh, Jack Black, <laughs> he play a lot of Red Dead Redemption on his uh, YouTube channel. And he play like me, he play like a linear game, in fact. I don't know why. I, it's, it's hard to explain. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> there is something in the, in the design. But Naked Jakey, the, the video is, the feeling uh, I, I get was exactly that. So yeah. So I hope Wild will not be <laughs> that kind of game. We'll see. But still, it's super, uh, super impressive game uh, on the PS4. And uh, no loading screen, uh, a wild nature with uh, animals, with uh, characters. It's pretty much crazy what it, what it did. It's just that the, yeah, the, the game design is pretty updated. So, yeah. so Red Dead Redemption 2 was uh, more of a disappointing game for you. But uh, just now that we're at the end of this generation, I think it's a good time to kind of go over and uh, introspectively think of what your favorite games of the generation were, what spoke to you the most. Like we talked about Breath of the Wild, uh, a bunch, Death Stranding, games like that. But what are some other favorites of yours from this generation, Guillaume? <laughs> it's hard to say. Well, I think uh, there is two games, but the reason is uh, pretty much biased because uh, it's the two games that I play when my daughters uh, were born. The first game uh, was God of War uh, in 2018, uh, right? Yeah. So it was when my my first daughter uh, was born, and I, I played that game uh, with her on me. You know, she was napping, <laughs> and the second one was uh, Death Stranding because my second daughter uh, <laughs> was born when the game was released. So I played the game with uh, me, uh, her on uh, my. Uh, my chest. So pretty much oh like my in gosh, the game. that's perfect. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, it was the two for, for, for those reasons. But the game are I think the game are the both games are, are good. <laughs> Even if I was biased by the my daughters. And uh, No, I think they're so it's so powerful. The in Death Stranding, the father son relationship you have between uh Sam and kind of a spoiler, I guess, to say what the name of the baby is, but <laughs> the the BB the Yeah the baby on your chest. Um, it's a really, it's super weird that you have a baby strapped to your chest in that <laughs> game, wired up to your blood system or whatever. But uh, I mean, it's a really beautiful story and it's an extremely unique uh, yeah. kind of situation they have there. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I was, uh, I had the, the real uh, BB controller, you know, <laughs> I had to make some, uh, some pose to, to reassure her when she was crying. Oh yeah. In, in the real life. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you were playing on hard mode because you had to <laughs> call BB in the game yeah. world and your actual baby in the real yeah. world. And uh, if I have to choose to pick another game, it will be a, a VR game, uh, but it's on PC <laughs> and it's Lone Eco. I don't know if you played that game. No, uh, I've heard a lot about it. That's that's you're on like a space station as an AI. Yeah. Is that that game? Yeah. And um, the game, if you if you were playing the game in as a two D game a flat game i mean it will be less interesting i think but the medium is the vr and uh they took advantage of it in terms of locomotion or of feeling uh, with a there is a real person in front of you you are a droid um, an humanoid but a robot so you can do uh silly stuff with your arms for example it's not uh that disturbing you have you have full motion awareness uh of your body awareness sorry so when you look around you see your 
your body and when you move your your arms you you see the 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 arm moving in the game so it's pretty much intense in terms of uh, you are in the game <laughs> you are the character and uh, and the other person is a, is a human and uh, this relationship between a, a virtual character and you it's pretty unique I think. and the scale is just perfect in VR it's a real person in front of you <laughs> and yeah is it similar it's it reminds me just and I I don't know much about the game pretty much I'm learning about it right now from you but it sounds a lot like kind of 2001 a space odyssey with your relationship with HAL 9000 or Moon, yeah if you've seen yeah, that it can be seen like that huh. uh, I think it's, it's I have similar. never heard of this and it's uh, by the uh, really down studio now it's they've been uh, bought by Facebook to to join the Oculus uh, family. Oh wow! And yeah, this game I was pretty impressed by this game because right now most of the game I play are VR games <laughs> because they are smaller and there are uh, less more games in VR, so it's easier to, to pick one. <laughs> and uh, it's easy for me because you, I am in my bubble when I play. There is no screen. Uh, Lighting the room when the girls are sleeping. <laughs> this is stuff that you have to consider when you are father of two two girls and you have a small apartment. <laughs> you can put your headset and you are in the in the thing and they can't see you and they can see the screen, so it's not disturbing them. So yeah, that's why most of the game I play lately are VR games and there are smaller oh, awesome. smaller games, so you can't finish. Them. You can opt to finish again. Then, yeah, and it's such a new medium that I, there, it seems like there's so much unexplored. Like it just last year, Half Life Alex came out, and it's yeah. like that game just kind of broke open the floodgates for how immersed you could be yeah. in a VR game, even though that's but, the whole point of VR. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I played Half Life Alex, but I, I was I was less impressed by it than uh, Lonico. Wow, because of the locomotion of the they are in space, so they can afford stuff like you can you can't do in. On, on Earth in Half Life. Uh, spoiler: <laughs> you are on Spoiler: Earth, it's Earth. on Earth <laughs> in Half Life. There is no Zen, or maybe there is. I don't know. And uh, but yeah, Half Life is still super impressive in terms of uh, fidelity of the the environment. It's just crazy uh, the number of objects there is, interactive objects and stuff like that. So yeah, for that part, it's super impressive. But for example, the locomotion in VR. Uh, on Half-Life, it's less uh, less impressive because it's teleports or uh, continuous develop uh, continuous uh, move. It's not like in uh, Lonely Eco when you are in space, so you can grab uh, the wall and push it, and you are propelled by uh, by your move. You know, like you are moving in a in a space station, basically. So just for that, it's super impressive to move in the in the game. is is a pure joy and it's the toy of the game, you know, to move. So it's cool that uh, your moves are, are, are cool in the game. It's like in Zelda, when you, when you move and you cross some, uh, some grass, you can cut it and you're just happy uh, about cutting grass and moving around. And uh, yeah, but yeah, still Half-Life Alyx is a, is a big game that I think will help to democratize VR games, even if it's not selling, I think, that much compared to previous Half-Life games, but there is the, the barrier of VR that is still uh, hard to, to break, I think, because you have a device, because you are alone in your headset. 
stuff like that. It's different. Yeah, it's definitely a. I I bought a Vive a couple months ago and or an index, it's definitely. Yeah, yeah, an index. Uh, yeah, about one of the yeah. Um, and Half Life Alex is one of the first games I played on it, and you're right. Like uh, that, definitely the locomotion is probably the weakest point of the game. Um, yeah. Because what what Alex does really well is a lot of, and and that's what VR is usually pretty good at is like environment interaction, and it's cool that Lone Echo it lets you take that like you can interact with the environment to the point where it affects your movement. Like yeah. that sounds really neat. So and I thought I was going to be sick because I'm not fan yeah. of continuous <laughs> movement in games uh, and i was not sick so i, I was super impressed um, i don't know if they use some tricks some some critical speed not to to reach <laughs> i don't know in alex or in echo in uh, echo sorry okay yeah yeah I, I i got pretty sick when i played um have you played pavlov it's basically counter-strike but a no. VR version no. of it i played uh, uh Wars. <laughs> Boneworks? Uh, oh, that sounds like a good way to get really sick really quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, Pavlov, I played on one of the original Vives. Um, my university I attended, we could rent the VR headsets from the library oh, nice. uh, for whatever reason. I don't know why we had that. Probably because American schools are really expensive and we blow our <laughs> money. But um, <laughs> and it, So uh, Pavlov made me really sick. But what was really cool about Alex was it felt like the continuous movement was a bit better to the point where I didn't feel like I was going to die immediately. <laughs> yeah, um, but I was still not super confident. <laughs> but it, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't perfect. And the, the, there's little things like the game, I believe, initially was developed to be uh, teleport only because yeah. uh, Valve is very opinionated and thought that was the only way people would want to play. So there's these really weird points where even if you choose to use continuous movement, you'll get to a, like a, a wall you have to jump over and the game tells you like you you have to teleport right now. Like if yeah. you want to get under this wall or get over this thing, you have to teleport. Uh, we're not going to give you an option. And so a lot, uh, the movement definitely wasn't the uh, yeah the main focus of that one. Yeah, I, I think they integrated it maybe because of the last, uh, the latest game, like Boneworks, like, other games yeah during uh, because it's definitely the the most immersive i guess stuff but yeah you have to be strong enough not to yeah you got to get your vr legs to build <laughs> yeah. up to it yeah that's right that's what was was funny with boneworks they, they call it the the vr legs and they try to learn uh, you to use your vr legs and not be sick <laughs> it's kind of a meta game and yeah, yeah especially because some of the stuff is like jumping off of things uh, i i haven't played it yet i've watched my friends stream it and it seems very yeah it's nausea inducing <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah for me learn eco uh maybe the design is not as well as uh alex but the locomotion is definitely super cool yeah yeah that seems to be kind of a a, a common thread between all these games that you're saying are the standouts for you of the generation is like the feeling of motion. Like in God of War, one of the coolest things about that game is how how great throwing the axe feels and how it, when it returns to your hand, there's this yeah. big, it, it feels powerful and it, 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 it thuds back into your hand and feels really visceral. And then Death Stranding, I mean, 
Death Stranding is kind of like a meta commentary on walking in <laughs> yeah. video games. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm a locomotion guy. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. you know, Guillaume, I remember when we first became friends, uh, I went on your Steam page and uh, you had written a review for Super Meat Boy. And the thing that stuck out uh, to me about, about your review was you said it was the best character controller ever. So I yeah. think that's what got me to play Super Meat Boy in the first place was was your review about the locomotion yeah. of it. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it's following me, <laughs> and there's still a lot of things uh, I want to explore in VR. Uh, I think it's a it's a a good field because not there isn't it's the beginning of VR. Obviously, all of the stuff have to be invented, and I have some locomotion ideas I would I would want to to try. And uh, yeah, I'm a locomotion. <laughs> Locomotion and control are, for me, are super important in games. It's your first toy, and if it's not funny, it's hard to to go on in the game. For me, I speak for me, but if the character is not so pleasant to to move or stuff like that, uh, I stop very really quickly a game. For example, the last game I, I stopped like that was the last, the latest Tomb Raider. I don't know if it, it was like the Shadow. Of this. Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why the, the character was not pleasing me in the move. It was not... Uh, you don't feel the, the character moving in the environment. It's more like uh, you are instanting, instant moving left, right, U-turn uh, and stuff like that. And it was <laughs> kicking me out of the game. In fact, I was not uh, looking at, at the rest of the game. I was only looking at the, the behavior of the of the character. And uh, maybe it's professional uh, deformation or stuff like that but yeah so yeah locomotion is super important <laughs> and in VR yeah. then, I think there is alternative to continuous locomotion I think of some games I could prototype but <laughs> I need to find some time to do it based on painting like you do in a I don't know painting uh, your way to the, to the environment and then uh, teleporting you uh, sequentially through the past, I don't know. And you have some kind of monster in the game. You have to have a, a given settings to make the, the locomotion believable. If you are a human character and you you teleport, uh, like I, I said, it, it's maybe weird. But if you are some kind of alien or something that can teleport, you you accept the fact that you, you teleport in the game. It's not a, a act to not not making people uh, sick. It's a, a justification of the abilities of your characters. And I don't know if I'm, I'm clear. Yeah. I have to, yeah, well, to link the, the locomotion with the, the design of the game, the game design of the game, the character you play, why he's able to teleport, why he's able to walk on the wall. I don't know. Well, maybe uh, Swing Swing Submarines uh, next game, you know, might explore some interesting locomotion. Yeah, maybe. And maybe it's funny because William, the other guy at Swing Swing, uh, also uh, stopped to make games for Swing Swing and went working on at Ubisoft Montpellier for Beyond Gone and Evil 2. And then uh, wow. the last thing I see on Facebook is him uh, telling he will leave Ubisoft really soon, <laughs> next March, I guess. And he wants to try to maybe restart uh, Swing Swing Submarine or work on smaller team, I guess, because it's, he, he missed, I think he missed working on smaller uh, project. But yeah, maybe, maybe Swing Swing will uh, resurfacing the, the submarine and maybe, maybe we can use the submarine. 
Yeah. Wow. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, <laughs> stay on the lookout for what's next from Swing Swing Submarine. But uh, yeah. yeah, Guillaume, I think we should probably wrap it up here. But yeah. man, it's been so good to talk to you. It's been so insightful hearing what it's been like to work in the game industry during such an interesting time. Yeah, thanks for the invitation, for the thing. And uh, I hope that I was not so boring <laughs> because I can, I can get very boring sometimes when speaking uh, like this. <laughs> Oh, no. But, I mean, if people are listening to this podcast, they're interested in the, the kind of stuff we're talking about, I think. And yeah. it's safe to assume. And I certainly wasn't bored. Uh, this is one of the coolest episodes I think we've had. And uh, Yes. And thank you for having me. <laughs> it's really, really cool what, what you do. And I hope to, there will be a, a lot of them. And oh, yeah, you, absolutely. See you in 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, okay. yeah. see you in 10 years again. I don't hope <laughs> that will be in 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think well, we, we'll we definitely... Should, in, we should... Uh, keep up uh, catching up sometimes to times <laughs> rather than, than 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, we'll definitely keep in touch and uh, you know, we'll, we will invite you to the 10th anniversary episode of the motion pixels podcast. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> still uh, in Minecraft because Minecraft yeah, <laughs> it'll be in Minecraft too. The sequel. <laughs> yeah. On Minecraft zero, the reboot. Minecraft reborn. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, folks, uh, this has been the Motion Pixels podcast. Uh, I am your co-host, August Meyer. August, say goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, Matthew, my co-host, uh, say goodbye. Uh, goodbye. And Guillaume Martin, our uh, esteemed guest, <laughs> say goodbye. Goodbye, folks. <laughs> because this has been the Motion Pixels podcast. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, Matt's going to go in and edit a uh, lip sync. So uh, you know, <laughs> we really appreciate the work he does there. Yeah, and if you want, you can record your character's audio in French and then we'll talk to our director and we'll get the <laughs> English voice actor.